0: Welcome to the After Show with three volunteers. We do it because it must be done, because no one else can. Because if we don't do this After Show, millions will die, and that is what sets our people apart. This is a thousand years of sacrifice going into what must be done, and all victories come inevitably at a cost. The Chernobyl After Show starts now.
1: You're tuned in to After Buzz TV,
0: the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz... Yes, indeed, this is the Chernobyl After Show, and we are here making tremendous sacrifice. I'm Christian Blatt. I have
2: 400 rubles in my pocket. Joined by my excellent panel, introduce yourselves. I'm Jeremy Dan, professor at the Marshall School at USC.
1: Hey, guys, I'm Julana Dizon.
0: And uh, I want to just start big picture uh, overall. What you both uh, thought of the episode, Juliana? Overall thoughts and what's one or two things that just really stood out as you were watching?
1: Well, I think you've already quoted all the favorite notable quotes in our end. <laughs> I job.
0: used them all up. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, comrades.
1: Um, no, but I was really, I was really nervous this whole episode, especially the way it ended. I mean, I was like. No, this can, I need to know what I need to know what's I was worried for them. So yeah. I really felt a lot of emotion in this episode throughout the whole time,
0: yeah. and uh, i yeah, I think there's a lot of moments in which it's you know, uncomfortable, and you just there's a lot of things where you wonder, like, for example, and we'll go through uh, some of these sp- specifics like, when they first say we'll fly the helicopter over the fire, and Lagasov is like, ah, no, 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 we'll be dead within a week. And then the guy's like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to fly over that. Uh, Jeremy, what were some of the what, first of all overall thoughts, and what were a couple of things that stood out for you in this episode?
2: First of all, the show is doing an amazing job educating, putting drama in front of us, putting uh, human, just human instinct and human emotion in front of us of so, One reaction is doing a great job and really glad I'm involved with with this show and and watching this. Uh, Secondly, as someone that remembers this from childhood and teen years and also has read about it since, if possible, the stakes were even higher than I thought they were at the time. When we heard uh, the stats about the explosion caused by potentially a meltdown going into the water, Uh, It wasn't just the radiation that was a risk. It was literally an explosion of steam. And when I heard that stat, I said, how big can that be? Well, they said two to four megatons, which if you run those numbers, Hiroshima was a 15 kiloton bomb. The potential for that water to blow up was 200 times stronger than the bomb that dropped on Hiroshima from just steam expanding with the shrapnel being plutonium, uranium, and every other uh, radioactive substance in the world. So I was shocked by that statistic alone and that the, the consequences were even bigger than I thought they were at the time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's something that they, they highlight in the episode. I mean, you mentioned Hiroshima, and there's a point where Legossof is he uses it as a great way to explain it that helped me understand it. It's like, well, it's like having to Hiroshima's every hour. And at that point, I believe it had been the previous 48 hours, and that was going to be continuing forward. Uh, Julana, I like that it seems to be once, and this is, I think, bureaucrats of uh, any stripes. I don't think it's just in the uh, Communist Party. But once there's an official story, everybody sticks with it. It's like, yeah, I believe it's uh, just like getting a chest X-ray. We heard that again. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you surprised that people were still... Basically, peddling that a notion that it was, yeah, just a chest, chest x ray.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't know that much about Chernobyl sure. in my life. Yeah, lifetime. when we spoke about it last like, week. Last week, yeah. right. And I'm just like, as the episodes go on, I'm just dumbfounded that people really stuck to that story so intensely and just kept up with it. And, you know, because of the time and age that it was, and, you know, it's obviously very different from how we live now. It was able to go on like that for a significant amount of time to really impact people
2: and we have our own bureaucracies as you said sure, and there yeah. is a party line even in a two-party system I'd say luckily we do have the check that we see they didn't have with the government-controlled press, but yeah. hopefully we'll get better health and, and danger and evacuation statistics when the time comes. Yeah,
0: well, yeah. people in this country, when when they uh, throw around the concept of uh, fake news, I don't think they ever underst- they understood what Pravda was, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which was it, it, you know the fakest news ever. And of course you're talking about a two-party system. The, you know, Communist Soviet Union was basically a no-party system. It was the party was everything, so uh, there was no opposition uh, to circle back to sort of the, uh, so later in the episode Jeremy in our special segment you're going to give us uh, a lot of the uh, so, some uh, some hard numbers and kind of putting into context just how serious this was I like the way that they conversationally and Lagosov realized pretty quickly that I'm going to have to, you know, speak speak down but also simplify the way I'm trying to explain this. So when the chest x-ray comes up and you know that's early in the episode. This is a very important character moment. There's there's two incredibly important moments for him in this episode. The first is when he hits the table and says, "No, I can't. I can't let this go." Like cuz he had read that report. It said graphite was found on the ground. And well, we Spent get it, we,
2: smooth yeah, mineral,
0: a yeah, smooth rock, it's essentially. And it had to be graphite, so he knew it was graphite. And then uh, again, the the party line, the uh, bureaucratic line is well, it couldn't be graphite. And it's just like, well, because of what that signifies, it, it's not possible. And uh, so when he speaks up though, this idea of the chest x-ray, the first thing he says is, Well it's not a chest x-ray. It's four hundred chest x-rays. But Looking at it more closely, he's like, it's four million chest x-rays. So, Juliana, we go from a chest x-ray to four million. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, when I get – you get the, the quick – when they they do your – your uh, the dental x-rays, it's like a second. And they still put that lead mm-hmm. thing and, you know, you're supposed to make sure it goes over your neck to protect your thyroid as, as factors into the show. Uh, so – I I don't know. I mean, did that help you, like, grasp the the severity of it, that it went from one chest X-ray to four million?
1: Yeah, of course. And another thing that I got from that scenario when they were in in that scene in the boardroom is that somebody told him it's disgraceful that he's spreading information like this. You know, trying to spread the real information. Like you said, they they kept wanting to deny it because they didn't want to wrap their heads around what that would actually mean if that were to be true. Yeah. Um, So that really – Really drilled it in for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one moment where that happens. And then uh, we'll jump ahead briefly, Uh, Jeremy, when they – when he and and Boris uh, land on the site – Uh, those guys are like, oh, look who's here. It's the troublemaker. And within under five minutes, those guys are uh, dragged off to the gulag or possibly shot, you know, (laughs) because it was just like, okay, so you guys have really effed this whole thing up. It's actually all your fault. I'm going to take over. Uh, We don't need you anymore. Uh, Sort of... Talk about both of those instances and how indicative it is of well of a communist system.
2: Well, what's interesting is remember when he came in, he wanted to deliver the facts. This is Legasov, played by uh, Jared Harris, yeah. and he starts delivering them, and he was being accused of being an alarmist, which is a really important word in the Soviet Union at the time, and and he said it's not an alarmist. It's not alarmist if it's, an, if it's a if it's a fact, correct? Yeah. And then the other thing is though when. Gorbachev calls him on it and says essentially, you're engaged in conjecture and you're a man I don't even know. He does realize at that point he does have a political game to play. Yeah. That that minutes and seconds count here, and that he can't just be the table pounder that he was in the first few minutes of the meeting. He has to be more compelling to the people that can marshal the resources faster. And he changes his style and he even says, May I express myself. More calmly and, and more respectfully. And then later, when you're referencing, he gets to the site. I think he had, after some rough patches, built with Boris Sherbina, played by Stellan Skarsgård, a little more of the credibility on the flight and early when they were on the ground, to the point of, as you mentioned, when uh, Foman and uh, um, uh, Burakhanov were I'm gonna, criticizing it. I'm going exactly. to go with that
0: pronunciation. That's not good to me.
2: Exactly. Um, they started trying to have critiques and criticizing him of, of again being alarmist. He soon thereafter sends them back to the party headquarters, where I imagine they have a few rooms they could keep them in for a few months.
0: Yeah, for as long as uh, as long as they're breathing. And honestly, because of where they were, their their life expectancy wasn't very long, which is something that comes up several times in the episode. Uh, and I think that. When we have a very, it's not even an uneasy truce, it's a very hostile partnership that uh, Legasov and and Boris are put together on and uh, even so much that while they're on the helicopter he's like, explain to me how this works, and he's like, great, now I understand how a nuclear plant works I don't need you and uh, it goes from that to somehow he makes him understand the reality, uh, Julana, that it's, well, we're going to be dead in five years. And he apologizes for saying it so bluntly, but you can kind of see in that moment and in everything he does afterwards, he knows that he just by being where he's been, his his life expectancy is not much longer, right?
1: Right. Well, and that's another thing. It's particularly in the helicopter scene. I imagine that it's hard for his character being one of the only ones that really knows the, you know, entirety of what's happened and knows all the factors and the consequences of it. Like, how do you convince people that don't want to know what's going on? You have to say it bluntly. You can't really go around and be like, well, you know, it's not really that safe. You have to be like, we're going to die. If you do this, you'll die.
0: Yeah. And and I think uh, when we get to the special segment later, Jeremy, the idea of if this were left unchecked, how many people would have died, and the you know the amount of uh, land that it would it would have impacted. But even as it was. There were reports of radiation in. Uh, I think they said Munich, but it was in. It was in Germany. So it went that far. That's Frankfurt. where they're saying not the kids yeah. to go? The kids weren't going outside. And meanwhile, the kids in the town were marching off to school the, the morning after the fire. So the, the fire, the meltdown. So um, yeah, and just to uh, – I did want to get back to the uh, Communist Party for a second. I think this problem would have been so much bigger had it been a little bit more of the old guard of whether it be Brezhnev or Khrushchev or you know the the recent predecessors of Gorbachev. I think he was definitely someone who was more open to why is this guy pounding in, at the end of the desk? Let's listen to what he has to say instead of this guy pounding at the end of the desk, let's string him up by his feet in the town square and let people poke him with a stick.
2: You know, we know we know Gorbachev now as the champion behind glasnost and perestroika, sure. openness and restructuring. But at the time, he was still an unknown to the West. And really, because he was elevated so much within the Communist Party, he was pretty unknown in the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, for a little context, over the previous, I think, about three years, the Soviet Union had had three leaders. Uh, Brezhnev died in 82. Uh, Yuri Andropov was there to, sure. uh, 82 through part of 84. Konstantin Chernyenko for just about a year. And Gorbachev came in in March of 85. And now it's about a year later. Obviously, he's gotten a little more known both nationally and internationally. But this is someone that didn't have a lot of credibility at that point on the international stage and probably a lot of trust with the world leaders. And that domestically probably still hadn't consolidated his position. So he was just out of a summit with uh, Reagan where he was building a little bit of a relationship. Reagan even commented, it's hard to build relationships with the Soviet leaders because they keep dying on me. They literally were dying in office as old men. So he was a a young leader, very different than what the Soviet Union had experienced over the previous 30 years, uh, probably about 15 to 20 years younger than their average leader, and uh, a very unknown commodity at the time.
0: Uh, Julana, both Jeremy and I remember uh, the, the figure of Gorbachev. I mean, even as a kid, it was very recognizable. I mean, there were puppets and cartoons and things that really played off on that birthmark he had on his head, which, you know, just looking back tells me, like, how well-connected and, you know, good at his job he must have been. That <laughs> The fact that he had that birthmark didn't hinder him in any way. He was able to sort of, you know, go past it. Um, what what are your thoughts as you see him? Because as we've established, this is, this is all uh, before your time, literally before your lifetime. Uh, so what, uh, what is your understanding of him as a figure just heading into this?
1: Um, well, first of all, I heard in an interview that they did a great job recreating his wine um, <laughs> birthmark. Or That's got to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's got to be a lot of work so, because you got to get it just right. right. Yeah, And, you know, if it's if it's hot on the set and that actor goes mm-hmm. like this you know, for our w- listeners that are, you know, can't see, you uh, just rubs his head basically. Yeah.
1: Well, um, my first impression of him uh, based off that scene where they're all kind of like sitting around the table um, he came off to me as somebody that was understanding because of the fact that, you know, he realized, I don't know. He said, I don't know who you are. You're just some man in my room that I've never met yelling at me. But he still understood and sensed that there was something maybe that he needed to listen to from this man. So he kind of, like you said, he didn't just cast him out. He gave him an, an, a chance to explain himself and then really kind of took that into account. And honestly, at the end of that scene, I felt really bad for him because he just looked so stressed out. And, I mean, why wouldn't he be? Because he's had all this information dumped on him and all these huge decisions that he has to make. And, it, like, when he just walks out of the room, I was like, man, I, I really feel bad for that character right now.
0: Right, I mean, because of you're talking about Gorbachev, right? Right. Yeah, so any leader, it's like, so this is... One of probably dozens of crises that he has to deal with during the course of the day, this being, you know, one on such a grand scale. Uh, at that point, he doesn't quite realize the severity. But, yeah, you're whisked out of that room to go in another room where there's another table of people that are going to tell you, well, here's another problem. So, uh, yeah, I I, I I don't know how people ever decide yeah, I want to be that guy. I want to be Premier of Russia, or Soviet Union. I want to be President of the United States. Um, before we move on, I know that Julana has a very important message for all of us.
1: Yes, very, very important.
0: Jeremy almost, well, Sorry, Jeremy did spill a streak.
1: I spilled the drink. Uh, that's <laughs> the
2: leakage down, down yeah. through the reactor well, core. we're going to have to put
0: <laughs> on we're the suits to actually go through that spill, and uh, I'm not volunteering. I'm going to stay on this side of the
1: desk. All right, I'll take it over. But okay, guys, before we move into our next topic here, we just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for making us the ESPN of TV talk. And we need your help for us to be able to continue to grow here at AfterBuzz TV. Please, please make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes, um, leave us a five star rating and some comments. And we love having you be a part of AfterBuzz TV. So if you're with us on YouTube, watching live or watching after the show, just um, leave comments. We love to hear what you guys think about the episode and I'll to be able to engage with you live. Um, So thank you for supporting us and keep watching.
2: And if I could say something about this, this show and us commenting on Chernobyl, if you're one of the early adopters, so to speak, it's time to get your friends watching it and watching this because then there's way more to talk about. And I think over the next few weeks... There's going to be a lot of deep, great, important discussions about this show.
0: Right. I think also when you do a miniseries in this style where it's once a week, you know, I mean, look, it's a five-part miniseries. You could very well have run it Monday through Friday. And I think it tends to build because people are talking about how they're watching it very easy to get caught up when you have a whole week between episodes, so uh, I do think that the uh, you know the conversation uh, is just going to grow. And we appreciate We had uh, quite a few people who watched our first show, so we uh, thank everybody for being a part of that. Uh, I want to move on to a very significant character who is introduced in this episode. Uh, Lana Kamo- Kamyuk? Mm. I, uh, I'm, Kamyuk. Doing, I'm doing really well with those. Uh, played by Emily Watson. Um Probably, henceforth, I'll refer to her as, you know, Emily Watson's character. Uh, now, in the, uh, the, the little bit after the episode, there's some behind-the-scenes stuff. One of the things that they talk about is that this character is not a real person. It is an amalgamation of, I think they said, dozens of scientists who also sort of reverse-engineered and figured out the idea that, no, we're not being told the truth there are a lot of these signs, and I love the way that it was explained. That you had all these people trying to solve a mystery. That they, as in the you know the party, the the bosses, you know, you're, you're basically the people who run the country, don't want you to solve that mystery, and they just allude to the fact that people uh, were put on trial, their families were threatened just for trying to do that. Uh, I think from a storytelling standpoint, I understand having one person represent it. It it doesn't it didn't bother me to have that realization. What did you think about that, Julana?
1: I thought it was a good decision um, because just to make the story a little bit more simple and, um, and be able to grasp really what's going on. I don't think there would have been a need to have really more than one kind of opposing factor coming in. And delivering that information, you know, it wouldn't have made sense to have, say, like twelve people on the scene all figuring out.
0: Right. I mean, there's there's already a lot of characters
2: in this show, and not everybody has these cheat sheets that Jeremy
0: made for us.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I do hope they still almost pay tribute to the fact that they were getting phone calls and data, satellite images, whatever it might have been that did help them solve it. So it's great. She's a boss of a character. Great acting. Uh, is is really conveying important information as a strong character, but I hope we see her interact with uh, some people, etc.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the Russians are definitely uh, tapping this show, so uh, they're appreciate. calling on the hotline. Yeah, it's, it's the red phone. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that I think is interesting artistic license is in creating this character. But I feel like we need to sort of address the idea that it's a female character and I don't know how far a woman in the Soviet Union is going to be able to go. Like, I don't think she gets past that police blockade. Now, one of the things that we learned from uh, another show set in this time period, The Americans, is that women did have higher up roles in the party. but. I was literally I was doing an inter- a media interview earlier today about a bunch of different stuff. This came up. the The host brought up this character, and she was actually annoyed that it was a woman. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like that could be. You know, I think that the the way that the police officer is just like, uh, fine, I'm going to arrest you and bring you to. It's just more like I don't want to deal with you. I'm going to let somebody else deal with yeah. you. I, Give me your thoughts on all that. I, I
2: I don't think women were still amongst that that highest party and, and governmental level. I don't think there were women that were known on the international stage from the Soviet Union as politicians and leaders and diplomats in that way. But in medicine and the sciences, they really did, uh, I would think, even favorably to the U.S., have a lot of uh, experiences and exposure for the post-war period. So it's definitely something that I think is in character for the Soviet Union, so to speak, that there was a a female physicist that had a high position. Uh, Maybe I think we only had at the governmental table one woman minister around that. That sounds about par for the course, but I'm glad that uh, that character is a female character, and I think it is fairly indicative.
0: I also think it, without this, we we would have uh, we'd have really no female characters except for the nurses and doctors and the firefighter's wife. You know, I mean, they're characters that I feel like we'll see more of, but. Uh, I think it's ju- it's just a lot of it's just a lot of guys with British accents talking to each other, and I think that just from a from a enjoyment standpoint, I think uh she does a great job and that mixes it up um Let's talk a little bit about how quickly she realizes what's going on. It just really takes opening the window and their little radiation sensors uh go off uh What do you think Juliana about her? the theory that seems to be prevailing is like, no, it couldn't be Chernobyl. It's too far away. And Mm -hmm. the quote that I I wrote down, is, she said they'd have to be slit open. So like, Mm -hmm. she says basically, well, you know, the the core would have to have exploded, which, of course, wouldn't happen. Uh, What do you think about just how quickly she's able to put it together?
1: Well, it was nice to see somebody pick up on it so fast. And I mean, they said she was a nuclear physicist, so this is her area of expertise. But... The fact – and obviously, it's a TV show, so everything goes quick. Yeah. Hopefully, it was like this also in real life. But like you said, they open the window, the alarm goes off. Because they have that knowledge and they've studied these things, they're able to put the pieces together and start making the phone calls and looking into it. But also from that scene, um, one of the things that struck me was, wow, like really the only people that have not been affected at all are like maybe people that have not gone outside – Right, Because if they had all the windows closed and all the doors closed, if that was the first time someone opened the window and some particles were coming in, that, too, is a crazy thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the, the reach that it has. And uh, I don't I don't know the the actual distance. Because I think they were in uh, – were they in – no, they weren't in Kiev. I forget where they were. They uh, were, were they, they were in were Belarus? Minsk. Oh, Minsk, yeah, that's it. So
2: Chernobyl, Pripyat, is right on the border between Ukraine – And Belarus, so it's not as close as Kiev, but it is still a pretty close city to that.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think that realization, and uh, I think that there's the great scene when she tries to bring her information to uh, someone and uh, whomever that party official is who had previously been a uh, was was it a shoe factory foreman? Yeah. Uh, I think that's indicative of two things, Julana. One, the way that, uh, you know, obviously uh, political appointees aren't really that invested in their job. And also that, you know, no one really wants to to hear something that isn't the official story. And then the third thing being like, well, she's a woman. What is she possibly going to know? Did you feel like they did a good job conveying all of that and what's a relatively short scene, actually.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I did feel that they conveyed all of those things Um, and just her whole little short journey um, to finally get up to the people that she needed to talk to. I thought it was very interesting, you know, when she got stopped by the guard and she was like, you're going to have to take me to your highest power.
2: You know, she she navigated (laughs) that in a great way, like Please freaking arrest me mm-hmm. and, yeah. and take me to the warden and take me to, you know, the chief of police and any military police general. And she, well, I don't know if she did a great job with the first uh, Communist Party official in, in Minsk because maybe there wasn't a job to be done. You mentioned political appointees, even less pressure than you would have today. You know, people we, we've seen six or seven cabinet officials removed because of some political pressure in the United States. I still we hope we have that as something that could force out people not doing their job but this is someone uh that essentially, you know, his his line which was just awesome, I, I prefer my opinion to yours. And this was maybe on the issue of, you know, a, a a a man in the system to her, but it was definitely a politico to a scientist, which is something that we see play out in our society as well, and this this script and this story was was played out a lot well before, or excuse me, written and developed before our current political climate was in place, and it resonates in very important ways.
0: So, uh, so while uh, Komuk is uh, getting herself uh, closer to Chernobyl, uh, Lugosov comes up with the solution of uh, boron and sand, and. Uh, i I like that sort of uh, her conversation with uh, you know her assistant is uh, <laughs> he, he oh, says, I love yeah that he's like uh, Bor- born on Sands like yeah that's what I do and she's like yeah f- of course that's what you would do <laughs> and um just the explanation of like why that creates a problem Boris and,
2: and simka
0: yeah yeah well uh, yeah so simka is, is so simka is the general that's there is, is that no who's nope.
2: that um so that's, I, I want to make sure the viewers saw that. That's a Rewatch the scene. It's really cool. She was talking to a plant. Oh, okay. It, it, I think the secretary at, the, at Legasov's nuclear agency. Oh, right. I the, see what you're talking about. The, the secretary yeah. had a periodic table of elements yes. on the table and the, said the, Boris and Simca, the, which is B, B, boron, right. Boris, and Simka S-I, silicon, which yeah. is boron and sand.
0: Which, uh, that's the coded conversation that lets her know what's actually going on without talking about it, which I feel like is, uh, you know, par for the course in the Mm -hmm. Soviet Union. But uh, I don't want the conversation to get too far away from us because we don't have that much time. Uh, I I just wanted to kind of talk about the way that they handle it when they get to the plant. And uh, now we were talking before we started and I've already forgotten the character that I'm talking about, the one who takes the responsibility of, no, I'll be the one to go in and and take a look. Uh, I don't know if we have his name, but he gets into the the truck and...
2: Piccolo. That's the general on site.
0: Right. And he certainly isn't the one who would have to go in. You know what I mean? It's just like, you could have several underlings. And look, Legasov makes the point. He's like, you can go in with all the shielding and everything, and it might not be enough. But he still goes in. And... I'm more interested in when the truck comes out and they're just – they're washing it and there's just all that, that sludge on it and he wasn't there for very long. What he did is basically ram the gate and take a look and then come back. So we're really starting to get the sense for how severe this problem is. I well, think
2: – What a chilling line. It's not three, runkin. It's 15,000. So the problem is 5,000 times as bad as these bur- bureaucrats were saying.
0: Right, and that comes up uh, in that meeting with Gorbachev, that the three Remkin is all that they're able to report because, as was established in episode one, that's all that, that's as high as they go. Mm-hmm. And uh, Logosov immediately figures that out. And then just the idea of just how much there is, uh, it, it's... I don't know. What do you think, Jelana? Just sort of the – every step closer they get, both literally and figuratively, it's worse than anybody expected, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just like – it's like because we know obviously how bad it is. But, you know, thinking from being inside the episode, obviously the characters are known and they're figuring it out. So – for me, it's just interesting to see them go on that journey and figure it out step by step by step, you know, and like each little thing just more pounds in the fact that this is super dangerous, like the helicopter scene, you know, and that whole thing. And then it just drops and they're like, wow, like I it disintegrated. Right. I never knew <laughs> yeah. that was possible. Didn't they either. didn't know that was possible. Like, you know, they said earlier in the episode that this is something that never has happened before on the planet ever. So yeah. that was a great. How point. do you deal with that?
0: Right, exactly, and the 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 story gets away from them because, uh, it, it, you know, there's uh, satellites, uh, satellite images, and things. So we see two news broadcasts that I think uh, do a good mm-hmm. job. We we see an uh, archival Peter Jennings uh, newscast from ABC News, and uh, in that he says that the Soviets may have been quick to admit it because there was already evidence across the borders in Scandinavia. So once it got past the Iron Curtain and there were indications that something had happened and you were able to piece it all together they would I think the story, if they could have contained it, it never would, we wouldn't even know about Chernobyl, you know, if if they had had their way, we would never have known that it happened uh, but obviously they weren't able to do that uh, and we, I think from just sort of a, a media appreciation standpoint, uh, Julana let's talk about, there's that American broadcast <laughs> and then there's the The very uh, buttoned-down Soviet state television uh, female reporter. Uh, Talk a little bit about watching that.
1: Yeah, it just struck me as very lame and very boring. (laughs) And I was watching the show with my boyfriend. I was like, wow, that is the lamest news report ever. And he goes, yeah, that's communism. And I was like, well, I guess that sums it up. But it was very just dry and un- it didn't really give you anything. It was just sentences with like no meaning behind it.
0: Yeah. Uh so they're able to convince the powers that be that they do need to evacuate. And um Jeremy, I wanted to kinda get your thoughts that when the buses pull into town and the truck is going around, that announcement is in Russian. So we don't get it with uh with subtitles. I found that to be an interesting, an interesting choice, just from you know, just from a, a, a TV production slash storytelling standpoint. What did you think as as that kind of unfolded? And it's like, we're not going to tell you what they're saying. We're just you're just going to figure it out by watching.
2: Yeah, I think we might have. Uh, I don't know if I think the episode title it is "Stay Calm," right? Yes. And if I had to bet, I would say that that was a part of the translation, and they did. Stay calm, and I think it relates to the fact that there are a lot of people that, in their living memory, had evacuated the Ukraine, yeah, and and had to do that for World War II. Uh, it is something different than the American experience. We do have. I I remember my lifetime when I think more people wanted to wait out hurricanes, and now I think there's much more insistence of. Evacuate and, and get out of there. Um, I don't know if that was the norm in the Soviet Union at the time, but in this occasion when they decided to do it, the people left. The people only took the one bag. The people handed over their dogs and they were, we saw a, a number running around. They were yeah. not fighting to take a dog on the bus and take more possessions. So it happened orderly. They had a public transit, pretty, I would bet, almost every bus from Kiev, thousands of buses that, that took them out. So in the immediate vicinity they had a great job but we're going to talk in, in a little bit about it, what their full job might have been if they had to evacuate and uh, that would have been a lot more and, and would have tapped them out it would have been almost impossible
0: uh, and then just sort of following the timeline of the episode it, this is the next major uh, incident that we have is there's the moment when this? I was talking about two really important moments for Legassov the other one is when he's at the hotel bar, and that couple is like you know they just see him and they're like oh Moscow, which I think is interesting because I'm like well, I I mean he's he's a British guy he's pretending yeah. I, I don't know what about he had a British Moscow yeah. accent what about him said Moscow is it, is it the way that he was uh, drinking his uh, the way that he was drinking his vodka which by the way he's like no I want one of the clean glasses mm-hmm. please not something that you just rinsed off which at any bar by the way I don't want the one that I just saw you rinse off
2: you know what I think it was actually. She had some of the glasses face down yeah. or opening down, right. and some were sitting opening right. up. And he I wanted the face down one. Yeah. Where no dust could come into so,
0: it. So at that moment, uh, Julana, she asks if, if anything we got to worry about. And there, there's a couple different ways that you can handle it, but uh, talk about his decision for how he responds and what must have gone into that for him.
1: Right. I thought it was interesting, and I was very surprised that his character responded the way he did and said no everything is fine because you know given how worked up he was about telling everybody else the truth I think this is the moment where he grasped the fact that if I tell these people the truth all it's going to do is cause a panic and a frenzy to them and I'm kind of maybe doing them a disservice so maybe I should just protect their happiness if I can't change the outcome and I know what's going to happen and just let them go about their lives. And
0: of course, tragically it's all, it's also kind of too late. Like the time to get out was, you know, the night before. So, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, and again, the, uh, the little, uh, behind the scenes production stuff that was after the episode, they talk about that. That's the moment where he's, he becomes a part of the conspiracy to cover up. He's invested in, you know, fixing this problem and, uh, having it go away. Uh, so the, uh, so, uh, Kamyuk, uh, just doesn't roll off the tongue, but she points out what the problem was with the Gossel uh, you know, his theory, which is that, you no, know, the tanks are full of water and he didn't take that into consideration. He didn't, uh, he didn't, didn't take into consideration that he didn't know, that that was the case. so that changes everything because that was what you were talking about earlier, Jeremy, in terms of the explosion and the steam. So this is when we get to what what I talked about in the intro, which is this idea that people who know the plant have to go in and manually, uh, I guess, turn a lever so that this water from the tanks uh, drains out. Otherwise, that's going to happen. Uh, so we have them seeking volunteers. Uh, Lagasov offers uh, 400 rubles a year, a stipend, an annual stipend of 400 rubles. Uh, so there's a, kind of a lot to unpack in that turn of events, Jeremy, and I wanted to kind of let you talk about that because I know you have you have a few things that uh, are related to that.
2: So what's interesting is a lot of people don't know the economic history of the Soviet Union and maybe even what 400 rubles means, and that's per year for people that, I think even though they didn't say it in the meeting, uh, these people know radiation, they ha- they know dosimeters, and they, they've seen people around them already get sick and some die. Um, 400 rubles at that time was $520 per year. Right. So that was, and today that would be about $1,200 for what these people would know is going to drastically shorten their life, even though they don't know all the ins and outs of radiation. They work in a nuclear power plant. They know enough. And what was really interesting to me is we have the line that we hear in the trailer and in the previews from uh, Stellan Skarsgård's Boris character where he talks about every generation has to know its suffering. And I thought that that was probably something delivered to party officials. But he delivered it directly to the workers, saying this job has to be done. It's dangerous and uh, someone is going to do it because it's the job of essentially a Soviet to do it. It was very different than the way I thought he would deliver to a very different audience but then the three people stepped up.
0: Right, I mean I think that's the point he's making is like this is what sets us apart. We're the Soviet Union. We are going to have three people stand up and they're going to do this for the greater good. Uh, And, you know, like three Americans would never do it, which, uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it makes, you know, these these three men who, you know, we get their names. So that tells me that I'm going to just assume that that's accurate, that these are the three guys who go in. Uh, But. I think that the I mean, this is the final scene of the episode and then we'll get to our special segment uh, where they're going around uh, with, and it's just lit by flashlights, which, uh, Jeremy, I don't know. That might be reminiscent of another show you do here at, at After Buzz where I understand they had a whole episode to take place in the dark. Uh, I'm talking about Game of Thrones in case you don't know.
2: This uh, wasn't the whole episode, though. This, and I think this it was, was just some like more three effect. minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, th- I thought that... Uh, it was it, visually, it was really interesting, Juliana. that it was just uh, lit by the flashlights. Uh, talk about how well they captured what that must have been like for you personally as you watched it.
1: Well, horrifying. I mean, just really scary. I really felt what it would be like to be those three men down there with just your flashlights. Obviously, they have some familiar, familiarity with the where they were. But still I mean they have full scuba suits on, they only have flashlights and they have a detector, right, that's going off the walls. Is that a
0: Geiger counter or what is that? A, Dosimeter yeah. or a Geiger Dosimeter counter or yeah. one of those. I, don't I know the difference. And it's those. great that as they great from our standpoint, not great for their their uh, life expectancy, that the thing starts going crazy the closer and closer they get. It's getting darker, that thing's getting louder, they can't talk to each other. Uh, so yeah, just the confusion and it, it's it's a it's a relatively like controlled chaos, if it were, because you know they're not running, there's not there you know this isn't they're in a dark tunnel and there's a monster after them. no they're <laughs> heading into something that they know is uh, really their their sure death. But I think that just the sounds mixed in with the breathing and the the Geiger counters and then the flashlights go out, obviously, because they get too close. Uh, I don't know, Jeremy, talk about what you thought basically when the the episode ends.
2: If I have a phobia, it's claustrophobia. (laughs) And literally it was bad enough just being in the tunnels uh, being confined uh if you remember another i think it was a 90s movie but the abyss sure with yeah. a uh with with scenes in close quarters and leaking submarines and all i was i kept remembering that scene of the dripping water coming up on them uh not knowing where an exit is and uh, if they had to get out uh just knowing that, that they're being confined to their death that that is a Semi That was really scary for me. Uh, I do hope and think they have some backup flashlights, but uh, I guess we'll see in the next episode. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, we're, uh, we're limited on time, but uh, I want to take a couple minutes to uh, get to our special segment, which is uh, if I knew the Russian for by the numbers, I would call the segment that. But uh, I didn't think to Google that until right now. But watch me say it next week, uh, Jeremy. Give us some of those. There's a lot of numbers thrown around in this episode, and then you also dug a little deeper. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of what you found.
2: Yeah, we've already talked about some of the numbers on the explosion and how much more powerful that just the steam would have made it than the Hiroshima bomb. But what did that? Do? What was the potential for that to do in terms of uh, immediate destruction and then uninhabitability? We the characters talk about that a lot, and they list. Uh, six or seven Eastern European countries, some in the Soviet Union and some that were part of the Warsaw Pact and the Eastern Bloc. And those add up to about one uh, 1,700 million square kilometers, which is about 700,000 square miles. So to put that into context of what they said would be essentially uninhabitable, which over a period of weeks you'd probably have to evacuate, which would not be able to be habitable for a hundred years or more. Yeah. That's about one third the size of the USA. So essentially almost all the way from the Pacific ocean, from California to almost the Rocky mountains. So essentially that whole segment of the United States, uh, uninhabitable. And what, in terms of the 60 million people that would have been affected of immediate danger, just over the next few days of that explosion in just the Ukraine and Belarus or today, Belarus, then, uh, Belarusian uh, Republic uh, Russia was a huge republic within the Soviet Union European Russia was more densely populated and these were some of the most densely populated areas of the Soviet Union and they had about 60 million people which probably would have been about a quarter thereabouts of this whole Soviet population uh, that would be the equ- and they would have to move them out over the next few days that would be the equivalent of California washington arizona uh oregon and nevada being moved out in just a couple of days so uh equaling up about 60 million they that's why those people at the table were so scared we're running the numbers they had never seen numbers like that even advancing troops you have days ahead of time you can kind of predict it this was something that was going to advance on them at the speed of the wind if not faster
0: Yeah, and I think that uh, obviously that's really how they're able to convince Gorbachev when they're like, look, this is what's going to have to happen if we don't address this now and, you know, here's what we need. And, you know, he, he has that just the realization that you know we're asking you for permission to kill three men and that was something I alluded to at the beginning all victories come inevitably at a cost so he never actually says yes go ahead and kill them but it's like yep yeah, that's that's what I'm telling you he,
2: he was doing the math with the yeah. three men versus that 60 and, million that was and
0: and that's the final uh, question that I want to ask you Julana just when he says that and just his sort of like matter of fact response of yeah you're going to have to kill these three guys uh, you just your thought as you're watching that unfold
1: um I mean, I, I understand why, you know, like you're yeah. we talking about being an official in that position. You really don't have a choice because my first thought when you're running all those numbers is where do you even put 60 million people? Right. Yeah. Nowhere. you know, like the the amount of other problems that would, imagine shoving 60 million people into other countries, into other areas. And then, you know, there's food shortages like there's so many other problems that come with that
0: Yeah, so he
1: really has no choice and you
0: felt bad for Gorbachev in the earlier scene about walking out of that meeting so then he walks out of this meeting and he's like "All right, I just hope I don't have to kill anybody in the next meeting I know I
1: felt like I needed to take a drink for him I was Uh, stressed out
0: there's a lot more uh, that we'll be able to uh, dive into uh, in the weeks ahead but uh, we are out of time for this evening Uh, but uh, we appreciate everybody who joined us Julana where can people find you?
1: you guys can find me on Instagram at Julana
2: and Jeremy you don't like to be found do you? You can find me here, and you can find me on Sunday on the oh, Game of Thrones After Show.
0: And, the, and that's the series finale. So then
2: Series finale, and we'll probably take it one more into overtime. Well, that would probably make sense. There's probably a lot to unpack. And you
0: can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at ChristianDMZ. And uh, Thursday nights, the Twilight Zone After Show at 10 Pacific here at after Buzz TV. Thanks so much, uh, and uh, we will see all of you uh, next Tuesday at 9 Pacific. Thanks.